We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Brian today for another episode of Buzz Beat. It's been a busy couple of days with MJ selling the team, which we did an episode on. We also got a five-star review, Brian, that had nothing to do with our content. But this listener just wrote on Apple, number two pick, the worst owner in American sports, gone. Hope, fellas. Hope. So (laughs) we typically appreciate the reviews that talk about our podcast, but this guy was so raring to go about the sale of the team that he had to get it out there uh, on Apple. So we appreciate the five-star review though. Um, (laughs) There's also been rumors of the Pelicans moving up to try to snag Scoot. Brian, you and I also did a fairly extensive film breakdown on Scoot, which is available in video form and audio form. But before we begin here, we're going to welcome on our guest from No Ceilings. No Ceilings is an awesome resource, awesome website uh, for those of us like me that have little time to get into the draft. They have a draft guide out uh, on PDF that's $10. So we've got Nathan Grubel joining us today. Nathan, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing well, gentlemen. It is the middle of draft season, quite literally. We are just a few days away from the first overall pick being made on June 22nd. So I couldn't be happier. It's almost draft day, guys. Yeah. Who do you got number going number one? <laughs> come on. Come on. I, I, I can't even make a joke. I, I would love to throw out some crazy answer and make a joke, but I can't even do it with a straight face. So. <laughs> What's great is like it, it, it obviously the draft starts with number two. It starts with yep. the Hornets and uh, there's been a battle back and forth between two prospects and there's definitely not a third in the conversation, I wouldn't think. But before we get to that, there has been some talk about the number two pick being traded or at least the Pelicans wanting to trade up uh, for Scoot Henderson. Now, let me let me ask you this question. I, I guess it depends on the package, but if the Pelicans came out and offered either Zion or Brandon Ingram, plus the 14th pick, plus some filler of some younger players, maybe Trey Murphy. Is there any situation in which you, as a Hornets GM, would move off of that pick to take a package like that? I would be much more inclined to entertain that offer if it was for Brandon Ingram. If it was for Brandon Ingram, and then we're talking about, you know, maybe a few additional pieces in exchange for call it the second overall pick you're giving them gordon hayward's expiring deal you know th- there are some different things you can do 
to make that trade work. But even, even in that package, it's very hard for someone who believes in the process of the draft to convince me to move off of that pick. And the reason why is when, when you have the opportunity to select a franchise player, right? It, it's not just about bringing more talent into the organization. It's about bringing the right leader into your organization. And so maybe if you are very confident, you have that player in place already, right? You have, you have a player who is young with plenty of room to grow, who's also a great leader, who's aligned with the coach, who's aligned with the GM, who's aligned with ownership, and you have that pipeline in place, then maybe it's a lot easier to talk yourself into making some deals, maybe moving off some extra draft capital to bring in some veterans, or maybe another star piece. In the case of the Charlotte Hornets, I'm not 100% convinced they have that structure in place to move off of the opportunity to bring in someone like a Scoot Henderson, for example. No, spoiler alert for who I'm going to pick in the, <laughs> the Scoot Henderson Miller debate. But that's just kind of where I stand. Now, if you believe that Brandon Ingram can be that guy, if you believe that he's the right person to pair with LaMelo Ball, and you're very confident in that future, as well as some of the other moving pieces you can bring back in that deal, I, I, I would certainly give a thumbs up to, to making that trade. The Zion situation... Coming from someone who had Zion number one on his board far before that draft cycle even started, you know, I was very much so in on Zion. It's just been a situation that, unfortunately, I'm not sure that I would feel comfortable passing on taking a player like Scoot or even Brandon to bring in someone like Zion when there are so many other moving pieces and, and storms that that Hornets fans have been trying to weather over the last few seasons. So I would I would keep that number two overall pick. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, first off, Nathan, I'm 100% convinced they don't have that uh, that infrastructure uh, in place to to like push the button on a deal. Not like that's like stopped, uh, you know, this this uh, front office and ownership group before from you know making some sort of like itchy finger uh, trades to sure. to win. Now um, there was some reporting out of Shams either over the weekend or early Monday morning. Um, about how the Hornets had, uh, they would prefer BI in the in the deal, which seems entirely related to just like availability and the health of Zion. Yeah. It is astonishing to think about how much of a like just how much of a dip Zion stock has taken the last, I mean, just the last even the last two years. Like in 2021, he was like, you know all NBA type player, you know, probably a top 10, 12 guy in the NBA. And when he's healthy, he's, he produces at like, you know, an MVP type level. He's an, an incredible player. I covered him at Duke, um, was there for all of those games that season. So it is, it is a bummer to have seen it gotten to this part. I'm hopeful that at some point things will stabilize and he'll be able to just play 70 games a year from now until the end of time. And you'll teams will build rosters around him and, if that happens, this will look potentially like a big. This will look like a missed opportunity for the uh, the Hornets. But it's just crazy. Like this is a guy that should be untradeable. You know, yeah. like in a, in a just world, like that's that's the reality. And instead, you could still whether it's smoke or not. The fact that a, an NBA team could look at those two guys and say nothing against Brandon Ingram, like he's super good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that a team could look at those two guys and say, yeah, we'd rather have we'd rather have Ingram. Like I get it, like the pick and roll, the pull up shooting. I do kind of wonder, like, if Ingram is your. I mean, I guess it depends on like you know with he and Lamelo who you would see as sort of like the best engine of offense. But it is 
I do wonder sort of like what your overall ceiling is. If Ingram is your, like he can, he can get buckets. He can make plays. I think the 2022 playoffs showed a lot of what he can do. Um, when, when new Orleans really pushed the Suns uh, in the first round that year. But, um, I'm not totally sure like how much uh, like I think he's like a foundational piece and he's an awesome, awesome, yeah. awesome player. But I just do think like the the playmaking maybe for others comes up like a little short. So that's that's also why like for someone you're going to go all in on, you would be, you know, maybe not going all in on, but you'd be giving up the the right to take Scoot Henderson, uh, a guy that you'd be having for four years on a rookie contract, plus, you know, the fun extension. Uh, as Brian Windhorst likes to call it, if all things go well. So younger player, more team control, higher ceiling with Scoot. Like for me, I it's fine to hear all the trade noise, but I just think you just push the button and take Scoot. Like they don't mm-hmm. have to do anything to get this guy. He's theirs. If, they, if they're willing to just do what I think is like the, the, the most simple, straightforward right. approach to getting a franchise-altering player. And I'd also be surprised, like, you know, Richie, you know, I've talked about this a couple of times now. Like, I think if the Hornets were to actually seriously engage in these talks, you should push like hell for Trey Murphy. I could also see the Pelicans just saying like, hey, like he's off the table. And that, that yeah. could all, I could see that too. In which case, you know, if the Hornets, would you would you pivot to Dyson Daniels or something like that? But if, if that's the case, then I'm already a deal that I don't love. I'm already feeling lower about uh, if, you know, sort of if that's the case. So if I were the Hornets, I would just draft scoot henderson and uh build around what would be a very exciting young core of, of lamello ball scoot henderson mark williams and pj washington plus you know whomever else they're going to draft this year you you brought up like a few interesting points right there though and i want to i want to just very quickly unpack i know richie's going to want to keep us moving i just want to unpack one <laughs> quick thing which would be the, the timeline, right? So if you make that deal and you bring in Brandon Ingram and you're bringing that package back, you're essentially accelerating the timeline. Whereas if you just sit and you take Scoot, you're sort of allowing for more patience to be baked into the organization because if you have LaMelo and Brandon Ingram, I think those are two pretty good pillars. I think you can potentially win a championship with those two guys in the mix, but the other pieces around them have to be like the absolute perfect fits, right? Like you need tough as nails defense from those two, four and five positions. You guys have Mark Williams in the mix. I absolutely adore Mark Williams. I had him as a lottery guy last draft. So great job in nailing that pick. I also like Bryce McGowan. So I actually has a top 20 grade on my board last year. So like there are some interesting young pieces you guys have, but to put the pressure on that front office to start, you know, choosing a lot of the perfect pieces to be around those two guys, especially with Ingram coming in, wanting to hopefully move to a situation with, you know, great winning expectations, given that he's not too late in his career by any stretch of the imagination. He's going to be entering his prime soon, but he's going to want to start to contend in the NBA, you would figure as well. So that would just add to the pressure in the organization and that a pressure filled plan that may not currently exist right now, especially with new ownership coming in. We don't even know, you know, what's going to make, what's going to make new ownership happy. Do they want to contend for a championship as quick as possible? Do they want to put a good product out there, you know, start building up some revenue, bring, you know, the team back in good financial spirits and, and, and building the image that they think the Charlotte Hornets have. Like we don't, we don't know what direction ownership would go, even, you know, whether it would be Zion or Brandon Ingram coming back in the deal anyways. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it, it should also be noted, like, Ingram wouldn't doesn't solve any of the rim pressure concerns that this team, that this no. team, I mean, not like you're even needing to, not that that should be at the top of the priority list. And then the last thing I want to say, too, just to circle back to Zion, because I had this thought earlier, it is crazy. This, again, to sort of like speak of Zion's trade value at the moment, and this could change. Like a year from now, this could all be way different for him. But that you might be saying like, oh, New Orleans needs to put more in the deal for us to become like interested in swapping, even even though it is the number two pick, swapping a, a pick for someone like like Zion. I mean, I know he's, you know, uh, he's about to start up uh, his max, you know, his max contract and all this sort of stuff. But like, it's just some of these some of the uh, look sort of like governors and guardrails that are in place for the Hornets to potentially you know make or not make or Portland to make or not make one of these deals around a trade for Zion, however realistic or not they are, it is amazing to think that like oh New Orleans would need to throw some stuff in to like make to make the other team sort of like want to bite on Zion Williamson. Like it's just it's a it's a crazy. It would sound crazy I think as as recently as like six months ago. Um, or like seven months ago, something like that. It would, but like the salary cap situation for the Hornets isn't necessarily going to get any better with bringing Zion into the mix. So yeah, talking about sure. a guy who's not for playing sure. games and, and you're you're leaving yeah. dead money on the table, you have Terry Rozier's contract that you're still sitting on. You'd have to potentially find another name, uh, another home for that. You PJ's have about to like come. PJ's about PJ, to become yep. more expensive, you know, in, in, a, in a matter of weeks too. So there's I wish it was easy as, you know, just trying to find the best guys to play basketball on the court, but there's so many more things to it than that. And yeah, that's why I would include Rozier in the trade and not Hayward, just because Rozier extends a little bit longer sure. uh, for those three years. But yeah, yeah. yeah like, like you guys said, I would, well, at least Nathan said this, I, I'd feel more comfortable with BI in the trade, but in a vacuum, like Zion is the better asset, but his availability just has really hampered his trade value. So I think two things might go through your mind. Do you even make this trade at all? And I think all of us agree the answer is no. But there is, you know, trying to take that risk with Zion because he was a number one overall pick. Uh, and you could hit big if, if for whatever reason he somehow turns it around magically uh, with his health. But yeah, he's he's a superstar that you really couldn't pass up on. But that's that's the reason he's in, in these trade talks because of the health aspect. So you guys are all talking about, you know, the Hornets being in position to make this trade or just to stick it out with the number two pick. You guys have both made it clear that scoot is like your favorite pick, but let, let's switch it over to Brandon Miller. And let's, let's talk about him for a second, because I do think that at least kind of as you're reading the predictions early on, it felt like 
a lot of the intel was saying Brandon Miller, Brandon Miller was going to be the pick for Charlotte. And, and maybe the majority still kind of swings that way, but it feels like Scoot has started to pick up some steam for the number two overall pick. But uh, Nathan, I'll pass it to you first. When it, when it comes to Brandon Miller, 6'9 frame, uh, he's obviously got great shooting ability to have the potential as a, as a two-way player. I, I do wonder how much of these projections play uh, into the fact that he fits the role a little bit better and they don't have that conversation with him and LaMelo playing off of each other. So my question to you is, what do you like most about Brandon Miller, even though he's he's not number two on your big board? And should he even be in consideration for the second overall pick? He's not number two on my big board, but he's number three, right? So he's very close in that discussion. And when I was trying to go through the exercise of different mock drafts we've done in those ceilings and, and trying to talk out who should go number two overall, there were two situations I did bring up at the time when we were trying to figure out who was actually going to be in these spots in the lottery that I said, if this team gets a second overall pick, I would put Brandon Miller in the conversation. That was the Portland Trailblazers because of everything that's going on with Damian Lillard. We have no idea what's going to go on there. They actually ended up with number three, which is very funny. And then the Charlotte Hornets were the other team because of the Lomelo ball dynamic. And while I do think that Scoot and Lomelo can play together, I can also understand the argument for not wanting to take the ball out of Lamelo's hands. You want to give him the fair share and the fair shake in terms of being the leader for this team in the backcourt and really making sure that he's the guy, he's the engine, he's orchestrating the offense. You want to give him that fair opportunity. So I understand that argument, which is why you maybe would look the direction of a Brandon Miller, right? So six foot nine, you know, awesome shooter on the wing, near 40% on very high volume from three point range, near 20 points per game score, made improvements as a ball handler, made improvements as a passer this year. We know about some of the defensive versatility, certainly helping out on the back line. And then he did add some perimeter value defensively at Alabama as well. And you start to put together a lot of the strengths that he brings to the table. You asked me specifically, what's the thing I like about him most? It's that his shooting ability makes him so much. I hate using the word safe. I want to find a different word to use by the time we get to the next draft cycle. But for now, until I workshop something else, it, it provides him so much value in terms of a specific floor that everyone in the NBA is looking for at his size. It's what makes him so valuable in the eyes of so many NBA teams. He can literally fit anywhere because of that shooting and defensive floor. But if I'm projecting him to be on a star's path, right? So who has more potential on the higher end? I would say Scoot has higher end potential than Brandon. I feel like Brandon is much more of a complimentary player. I don't think he has that same ceiling. I don't think he would be the player who I would choose to be the face of the franchise if Victor Weminyama wasn't in this draft. Taking Brandon Miller overall is basically saying you'd be comfortable taking him number one overall over Scoot Henderson. I'm not in that boat. But in taking Brandon Miller, if you do not feel that Scoot Henderson is that type of number one option slash potential star, and you want to take Brandon Miller, you may not even be as confident about that for Brandon either, but at least you're bringing in another solid player who's not going to take anything away from your foundation. He's only going to add to it, so then you can have more bites at the apple to potentially get that number one overall option slash potential face of the franchise and or better complimentary star to go alongside LaMelo Ball. So he just, he sort of gives you the freedom to be able to do what you feel like you want to do, you know, in 2024 moving forward. All, all well said. I think those are some like good, like it's, it's if, if the Hornets were to take Miller at two, 
I mean, I think those are some of like those. That's part of like the justification for it. If you've assessed that, like, if the Hornets have assessed that he's, uh, you know, the number two, uh, he's their top guy, he's their due prospect overall in the draft. That's all, you know, that's all fine and good. I would disagree with that evaluation, obviously, and it does certainly seem like Scoot. Uh, did himself favors or did himself a favor with his workout. Um, I believe today, mm-hmm. Monday, um, we're recording this. Miller and Henderson were both set to interview in Charlotte uh, again with team personnel, including Michael Jordan, who was going to be there. Uh, but also, uh, I know Miller's been dealing with uh, a mono, I believe, or was a few weeks ago, but Scoot in better shape, better conditioning year and a half younger again if we're getting sort of to like the some of the timeline stuff like mm-hmm. uh again i just think scoot gives you um a little bit more more runway but like i think throughout this throughout this bod like i've I, you know one i've banged the scoot drum a lot i think i've come away like being probably over overly negative on on miller at times like he's one of the best shooters in this draft you know really can shoot off movement relocation pin downs flares you know, has some sort of like gravity bending, you know, movement shooter at six foot nine plus some secondary playmaking chops around that. Like, that's a really good player. Like, I think Brandon mm-hmm. Miller is going to be very good in the NBA. I just don't think, uh, yeah, I just don't think it's those are the type of things that also like push the pick above, you know, above the potential of Scoot. And as as much as I like Miller and the verse the defensive versatility, the way he competes for rebounds. I think some of the screen navigation stuff is like kind of interesting. Obviously, he switched a lot in Alabama's system too. I, you know, like every time people can do the Paul George comparison, it bothers me because one, Paul George is like in you know an S tier shooter for someone yeah. who's six eight six nine. He's like literally the best case scenario. But like Paul George is also just like an absolute like viper defensively, like in the passing yeah. lanes, getting around screens, like. He's just an incredible, incredible wing defender, and I, th- I think I think of Miller as like a good defender, but uh, a prospect. But projecting him to be like you know a, a guy who had a lot on a lot of nights throughout the season is like the best wing defender in the world. Uh, seems like a seems like a little dicey. And then the last thing I would say about Miller is just like the passing has never like really stood out all that much to me. Um, I think when he has time to set defenders up. The playmaking and pick and roll craft looks pretty good, but when you crowd him and get into his space, I think he is. I think the handle has some limitations. Yes. Um, and I also think that's really when you can like when you bottle him up and he makes like bad decisions as a passer uh, in some of those situations too. So there's a lot to like with Miller. Like if you know, heck, if if you were if the the Hornets were drafting four or whatever, and he fell to them there, I would be you know I would be like ecstatic. I think he's going to be a good player. I just I like Scoots. I just think he's the better prospect and I think he has the better shot, the better odds at, at being becoming like a, a star on the next level. I agree. And like you, we don't need to unpack Brandon Miller in, in a negative way for like 20 minutes and, and paint yeah, the picture yeah. that he isn't the type of player who you would consider number two because he is. But when you watch guys like Paul George or we've had to talk about Brandon Ingram for a few minutes on this podcast, right? When you watch those two guys, Brandon Miller just to me, to my eye, he doesn't handle the ball. He doesn't operate in the same ways. He's not as fluid as those guys on the wing. And those are top tier, not only you know secondary playmakers, but top tier shot creators that we have on the wing in the NBA. Those are prime picturesque examples of what you would want for that second star you know, next to another primary guy. And to me, Brandon Miller just doesn't look like those guys. 
not to say that he can't necessarily get there, but I wouldn't bet on him getting to the level as those guys. And if I wouldn't, there's a guy named Scoot Henderson who, for all the reasons we could talk about off the court, right? The type of person that he is, the type of leader I know he's going to come in and be, that is the type of player I want to draft number two at all. Someone who I'm confident is going to be the best version of himself in short order, right? I, I don't think it's going to take him as long as some other players to reach his ceiling in terms of how good he can be. I think he can even come in and impact the game right away. And if that's the case, why would I not want to take that guy as my number two overall pick? Yeah, before we kind of transition over to Scoot, I, I do have a listener question as it relates to Brandon Miller, because I think one of the more glaring issues that Brandon Miller does have is the rim finishing. And I think his frame probably plays into that, his touch around the rim. You know, you start to wonder when teams start to run him off the line, the closer he gets to the basket, the efficiency kind of goes down. He shot uh, just barely over 50% at the rim. And the question asked is from Sean C. Is there a precedent for someone of Miller's archetype substantially improving from inside the arc at the NBA level? And if he doesn't improve, is there a better comparison for Brandon Miller where he's basically just on the outside with no inside game whatsoever. So do you guys have any thoughts on that in, in terms of if this guy can turn it around at the rim? I I can't think of any precedence off the top of my head in which right. a, a star level prospect made major leaps as a rim finisher at the next level, right? Usually, you know, the, the, it's, either, it's either about the same, maybe you can see some slight improvements or even some slight decreases, but no one in my knowledge of studying the draft the last 12 years has taken a major leap in that regard. I will say it can improve slightly just in terms of the angles he's able to take to the basket. If he does better study how to operate out of a pick and roll type offense, as he becomes more comfortable coming off of a screen, he can improve in that area, but it's not something I would project to him to have a major leap forward. And if that's not the case, you want him to have that floater when he gets two feet in the paint. Mm -hmm. You want him to have that mid-range pull-up. These were two things he didn't get to show a lot of at Alabama. He actually did show more of in high school than the three-point game, both of those things. But those are really the areas where I would look for him to have a little more regularity and make improvements on, not necessarily for him to make a drastic leap as a finisher at the rim. I don't know what yeah. you guys' thoughts are. Yeah, it's like the rim finishing did get better, I guess, as the season went along for him at, at Alabama. But there is just a reliable issue with him uh, struggling to create separation yep. and, and needing to use his height and his length to finish over guys. Um, and, you know, often he's getting to play the three against college competition where he's at a you know size and length advantage or where he was playing the four, uh, if they moved, you know, Noah Clowney to the five or whatever, uh, when they take Bidiaco off and Pringles on the, on the bench too. Um, and it wasn't like Miller was all of a sudden just like blowing by guys, you know, when he was getting to, to attack, you know, op opposing post players. So, you know, it's like, it's good that he can, he has the size and length and in, in some situations that's still going to uh, be a tool for him on the next level. Yeah, you know, uh, Nathan was sort of talking about this. He's going to have to be better at sort of like how he sets up himself using screens, whether it's, you know, down screens or in the pick and roll, because um, he's going to have to sort of like dip into that the craft a little bit more um, if he wants to sort of like find a little bit, find ways to get a little bit more uh, separation in some of these like final third of the floor uh, finishing uh, scenarios. And get into the body of somebody a little more, right? Like I know he he averaged 4.6 free throw attempts on the season, and we know that he's an excellent free throw shooter, and that's going to translate over. 
that's really how you can make up for some of those other deficiencies, right? Get to the line, knock down free throws, and use that as your way of a, a self-creation improvement, right? Get into the body, be able to draw contact, improve in that area, and that will make up for some of the other deficiencies as far as finishing at the basket, right? Make use of the contact that you're able to draw. All right, let's get to Scoot here. I know you guys want to gush over Scoot, but I'm going to try to play devil's advocate here. Not that I'm not wanting him at number two, but just kind of throwing out some of my hesitations. I know that this guy, you know, 6'2", explosive, got awesome change of speed. Brian and I did a video breakdown that lasted about 45 minutes just running through some clips, Nathan, and just impressed the way that he was able to handle the ball out of the pick and roll and, and put a defense in a bind in terms of, you know, how they're going to pick their poison. And He's also very mature. He's a guy that is very calm in the pick and roll. He still is a threat as a playmaker. I think a lot of people just think of this athletic guy that can just get to the rim, but um, he can make some passes too out of the pick and roll. I know his three-point shot has been a little bit underwhelming. I feel a little bit confident that that's going to be passable on the NBA level. There's nothing about his form that that says, oh gosh, it's going to be a major overhaul overhaul," or anything of that nature. Uh, But my bigger concern with him is if he'll be able to uh, play on the defensive end and play with LaMilla Ball paired up because he has his deficiencies as well. So I want you guys to kind of talk about that. Do you guys see a world in which Scoot and LaMelo could be a pairing that is is kind of like a net negative, and how do they overcome that? I think Scoot actually helps LaMelo defensively. I think Scoot can take the, the tougher matchup at the point of attack, right? Scoot's built right. like a bulldog, and he can certainly – you know, handle his fair share of contact, but you can also deal out some punishment of his own, right? Guys who want to back him down, try and take him into the low post or, or try and bully through him. He's not going to allow that to happen. And when you can put pressure on the ball at the point of attack, you can force steals, create turnovers, get out in transition where we know LaMelo thrives. Not only are you taking defensive pressure off of LaMelo to put him on the opposite guard, you're also helping him get out into a play type where he excels at tremendously. He always has which is in the transition game, right? Get a quick steal, pass the ball to LaMelo, then, then you know, let Scoot take down the, the court like a wide receiver and let LaMelo hit him with the hit-ahead pass, and all of a sudden you have a really profitable transition game that you can work off of. So I actually like how those two can pair in the backcourt defensively. And one interesting nugget, I haven't seen it 100% confirmed in a, in a true report but there were some rumblings that Scoot Henderson measured, you know, just under six foot four in shoes. So he may actually be a little bit bigger than that six yeah. foot two anyways, which is that's only going to, to add to, to that type of profile, right? Not that he isn't built already like a tank and he's able to take on certain matchups that, that a lot of six one, six two guards wouldn't be able to take on. But that extra height does even add more to that in his favor. Yeah, he has the tools to be a, to be a good point of attack defender. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll need to see it. Uh, on the next level at a, at a far more consistent basis. Um, yes. If there were ever a time for him to sort of like lock in, it's there, but he certainly shown signs of it and the tools are there. I mean, uh, whether he's six two, six four, he obviously has a plus wingspan and he's really, really strong and he competes. So it's like he has the, st- he has the like physical profile of a guy who should be good at the point of attack. We'll see. We'll see how that develops. Again, I, I, I understand some of the defensive concerns, but if Scoot is, you know, six four with the plus wingspan, with the strength, with the athleticism, his hands are so quick too. Like yeah. Richie and I, when we did the scouting report the other week, you know, we really just focused on offense. Mm-hmm. But one of those things you see with him, especially as a team defender or when he's going for rebounds, like he has he has incredibly quick hands. 
So that is another, you know, sort of, again, lots of tools for him to be like a good on ball defender and, and to, to be, you know, be to like pack some punch at the pain of attack. And yeah, he's still, he's still very young. So there's, there's definitely a lot of room for him to be, to grow. I think, you know, I think his first year in the league, it might be tough defensively. And I think the, the, the three point shot could also be an issue, but I think there are a lot of reasons long-term to feel like pretty good about the, the two things that people are like worried about most with him are like the defensive fit with LaMelo the three-point shot, and I think there are a lot of reasons to actually sort of like be long, long-term, be pretty bullish on those things, and um, and ultimately, like Richie, we've talked about this plenty too, but I think the fit with Lamelo offensively, like certainly in the transition with Nathan, Nathan just pointed out, but I think there's a lot of stuff in the half court that makes sense. You get Lamelo, you know, you let him start a possession, he gets off ball. You know, then you turn in his his catch and shoot game on forty one percent career catch and shoot guy. The connective passing, you could just get open up a lot of side to side pick and roll action. You know, Mark Williams is going to be happy to just screen and dive like a madman as PJ Washington spaces things out and yeah. uses his uses his own connective passing and and had Gordon Hayward's in there, you know, for fun, just coming off doing his little mid range mid post game and probably honestly helping scoot out in ways that he helped LaMelo out his rookie season as a screener and as a guy that can take some pressure by, by being a guy that can give you some pick and roll ball handling and passing and in, you know, mid range scoring and playmaking. So I'm, I feel quite good about the fit with those guys and yeah, long-term like maybe you'll need to think about if it's scoot LaMelo, like what the three is with them long-term and sort of like maybe focusing on, on, on a, on a wing defender there and a lower usage type player, but that's down the road. Now it's just get the best player and, and, you know, try to figure everything else out um, over time. And you'd have some runway to work with. I think one thing you mentioned specifically, Brian, you, you mentioned the, the rebounding aspect and that's something I actually have not unpacked with the scoot Lamella Finn Charlotte, but I think it's meaningful because while we don't always use rebounding as this awesome descriptor of, you know, NBA level success in terms of indicating what's going to work at a high level in the league. But I think we sometimes forget how important it can be. Just look at the Kings Warriors series in the first round of the playoffs, for example. You know, what was a big reason why the Kings ultimately lost to the dubs? It was because they couldn't keep Kevon Looney off the glass, right? And so having as many guys at their positions who can box guys out and get, you know, some of those long rebounds off missed threes, you know, you have two of those guys now with Lamelo and Scoot or plus positional rebounder scoot averaging almost five rebounds in the G league. You have somebody like Mark Williams who can fight for those rebounds, you know, near the basket as well as help you out in the offensive glass. So now you're getting that plus rebounding from three different positions on the floor. That's going to help you in more physical battles, especially as this team would want to get into a play in or playoff situation late later on. I think you saw it less on in a second season with G league ignite, but in his first year when he was playing next to Hardy and Daniels, and, and Bochamp, Scoot had some unbelievable offensive rebounds. Like, I don't think he put up like a big offensive rebound rate or anything like that, but he had some plays where just like the ball tracking, the motor, and then with his yep. length and athleticism that were, you know, just very surprising for a, you know, a 17, 18 year old guard prospect uh, to be able to go in there and, and amongst the trees, yeah, get above guys that are you know, guys that are six ten, seven foot and in, you know, uh sky above them to get rebounds. So that is something where I think he has a little bit of un- untapped upside there. And I think generally it just sort of like speaks to his 
it, the, all the tools that he has. Yep. Um, the ball tracking, the hand speed, and you know the 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 the, the wingspan and the, the vertical leap too. Yeah, I don't disagree that you know Lamelo and Scoot can play together. The one aspect that I'm, I guess, I have more of a question mark is when Lamelo has the ball and Scoot is off ball. Like that's that's where I wonder where. You know, Scoot can make the most of his time there. I, I think that cuts or maybe dribble handoffs and, and things of that nature. But until he develops an outside shot, uh, that's where it could get a little tricky in certain situations. And I also wonder, too, I mean, maybe this is crazy thinking with Rozier on the roster. Could there be a situation where Scoot doesn't even start for the first half of the season? And he comes off the bench. I think it's possible. I mean, LaMelo didn't start. I mean, I wouldn't. Right. I, I don't want them to do that. <laughs> like, oh, right, right, But like, right. as long as he's on the roster, it's like, oh, oh OK, that's fine. He's there now. So like I, I could I could like buy into any sort of like plan for that. And I wouldn't be surprised if Steve Clifford had. I, I could see Steve Clifford also really, really liking uh, yes. Anderson. But yeah, if, if Rozier's still there. Yeah, I mean, I would see Scoot would still be playing a lot, you know, but I could wouldn't be surprised if. uh you know what you, you debated whether it's the right idea or whatever, but it would not surprise me to see if the, if that's the way their guard room is set up that Rozier would still potentially be starting in that situation. I, I think even with those two together offensively, I think there's ways that you can utilize Scoot. You know, maybe maybe in some more non-traditional ways, but at the same time, they're becoming more traditional, right? Like everyone in the NBA now has to be able to set a good screen, and you see yeah. guards utilized in so many different screening actions at this point in the NBA. You now have a guy who is built like a Mack truck as a guard and scoot who can actually set good screens and he can play off of those actions. He can set screens for LaMelo. You know, you can have him in certain different situations like that with him in the middle of the floor. You could have him send, you know, some back screens operating off the wing, you know, him coming off a DHO. So there's there's ways for scoot to be able to get open off movement and, and catch the ball and make a quick decision to get downhill and utilize his strengths as well. I get it. He's not the most traditional spacing guard. But I think that's going to improve for him over time. You know, Chris Paul, once upon a time, also wasn't the the greatest floor spacing guard from three-point range, right? He was he was okay, but he wasn't great, yet he still made it work with other guys. And that is something that, especially as he went to go play with Harden in Houston and play with some of these other guards, he made it a point to make sure that he could be a knockdown catch-and-shoot guy. And I think at some point, Scoot's going to be that in his career, even if it isn't right out of the gate. So we're only looking at Scoot now. We also have to remember how good he can become, you know, two, three years down the line. Yeah, we've talked a lot about like the guard to guard screening actions, the ghost screens, the blur screens, like whatever the slips, like whatever you want to call them. They seem, you know, the one to one. And you could also see it where like Scoot sets a ghost screen for LaMelo. LaMelo swings it to Scoot, then he he chases, right? And immediately he sets a, you could just see and like LaMelo's done a lot of that throughout his first, especially his first two years. That was like a big part of Borrego's offense. Um, with Lamelo, with Rozier, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk, uh, uh, when those guys were still around too, so you you could see it being a part of that. You could see double drag with one of the guards in there, and because PJ can space, you can just have him spotted in the corner, and not have to worry about him being the the slip screen guy. And then you could have Scoot pop out and then catch the ball second side, maybe get against the tilted defense. And that's really where I think like Scoot could also like feast next to Lamelo, like let him bend the defense a little bit. Then you get scoot on the diagonal going downhill. Yeah. There's so and, and, then, and then off of that, you still have one of the best guys in the dunker spot, Mark Williams. Mark Williams, well, to, exactly. To clean up the play, so and and I was like, I've go, read the other day. I went back and was watching, rewatching a little bit of like late season Hornet stuff, and they really didn't dabble like Why would much. You do that? 
uh, what? When did I do that? <laughs> I, I wanted to see. There were there were a couple of Mark Williams games like where he played well that I didn't see. Yeah. Like, so it was like Boston, Atlanta late in the year. There was an Oklahoma City game middle of the season that I wanted to get I, because I'm pathetic. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. But like they dabbled with, with some of the five out stuff with him, with Williams. And my guess is like they'll get to a little bit more of that where, you know, they're running delay with Williams in the middle and you could have, you know, LaMelo in the left corner, Scoot on the left wing. He sets the down screen for LaMelo. You know, then they they launch the uh, you know that Zoom or Chicago action, whatever you want to call it. Or you have those guys on opposite sides of the court, and just it feels like five out is like a good way to sort of like. I know that seems silly, like oh, the the way to integrate those two guys as ball handlers is to like give the ball to the seven foot one guy. But like, I do think that's like another way to do it is go is is five out and and have some swing swing stuff like Richie. Do you remember how many times did Nick Batum and Malik Monk hook up on when yeah, they would run? Chicago. They would run delay Chicago with a 45 cut from Monk on the you know the weak side slot or wing. And how many times Batum hit him going back door for that sort of stuff? So like I don't know. There's like there's real like basic stuff you could get into. I think once you think about guard to guard screens and five out and Richie, we also talked about this in the Scoot film session that we did last week. But G League Ignite did a ton of like guard screening actions for him, yeah. whether it was Pujeter, whether it was John Jenkins. Mojave King, like, oh, that was a big part of, like, Ignite's uh, playbook, especially, like, you know, late game crunch time offense. That's just pro offense, right? Shout out to the Warriors to, to making a lot of that even more popular with what Steph Curry's been willing to do as a guard screen. I think it's just taken taking the league by storm, and that's not going to go away anywhere. So why can't the why can't the Hornets use some of that to their advantage? And, and speaking of Steph, he worked out with Scoot Henderson recently. So, <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah, we, uh, I want to get to a couple guys that are projected to be late first, early second. I guess it just depends on whose big board you are looking at. I also have a, a speaker request here in Twitter spaces that I would like to get to. So, Cam, go ahead and unmute and give us your thoughts or questions, and hopefully this works out. We always have trouble with this. Go ahead, Cam. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yes. I can. All right. Great. Uh, so thanks for thanks for all the, the insight. I Seeing as how what I thought was the worst – case scenario has gone off the board with you know Bradley Beal being traded and us not being able to something stupid about the number that uh, I'm just curious as a Hornets fan so what is the worst case scenario that's like within the realm of possibility that you think the Hornets could do with this number two pick acknowledging that if it's the worst case scenario that's probably what's going what we're going to do uh so thanks a lot appreciate it I don't know if it's the worst case scenario but to me if you're going to draft Brandon Miller and Spencer brought this up on the podcast the other week Trade back to three, pick up an additional asset, and then and then take Brandon Miller yeah. at three. I could see the Hornets not doing that, knowing that so many teams are valuing Scoot. They want Scoot. Do do something like that. So what I could see the Hornets doing is just drafting Brandon Miller at two. Again, it's not the end of the world, but that just seems something that Charlotte would do, Brian. Yeah, I think that's a fair answer. Like and, and if that's the case, like, you know, Miller's a, he's a really good prospect. Um, it would be like that. And then it would be also like not finding the way to squeeze like the least amount of value possible out of the sort of like glut of like, you know, the one late first round pick, all the early seconds that they have, like, which is like kind of what they did draft night last year. Um, but it sort of feels like because they're drafting so early as opposed to like late lottery, that they're it's sort of um like the stakes are higher but there's like less maybe like less fewer levers for them to to pull whether that's right or not i think another if we're just throwing flo- floating these out there is like 
would be like moving the pick and then like really like valuing Ingram too high so yeah. that you just don't get that much else. Um, you know, along with uh, along with Ingram from New Orleans, like you would just be sort of like you know fodder uh, in terms of like draft capital because like if you get like if you get Ingram, you still got to get you know young players and picks. I don't want them to do that. I don't think Charlotte will, but that would be another sort of like uh, just yeah. I don't think that would be the. I think that would be one of the worst case scenarios for them uh, in this situation. All right, so the Hornets have five picks, number two, number 27, number 34, number 39, and number 41. Actually, Richie, can I throw out one more thing, too, just real oh, quickly? Which just would be, not only if, the thing that would bother me most about Miller is if they make, I've said this a few times now on the pod, but if they make that pick and they do it because he's a wing and they don't have a lot of wings on the roster, like if they draft Miller and that's ju- the justification, um, I'm actually going to like, I'm going to be pretty annoyed about it because like I, I've said this, I said this the other week, if they got the number one pick, it's not like they would pass up on Wembenyama because they've got Mark Richards or they got Mark Williams and Nick Richards signed to a contract in the center room. You know what I mean? Like right. you, you, you take the best prospect available. You don't take the guy because they're, you know, 3% more likely to help you win a, a game or two next year. And they're at a like position of need or whatever, get the star ball handlers and then fill out the wing room from there. But so that would be, it would be, it would bother me if they drafted Miller and the justification was we think he helps us sooner and he's a wing and our wing room is bad right now. That would, that would, that would bother me uh, a, a considerable amount, actually, if you can't tell. And you could also make the case that, like, the wing forward rotation, there's still bodies there. You got Gordon Hayward. They're going to try to re sign PJ Washington. Uh, Miles Bridges is lurking, and that those rumors about him coming back. So, you know, that, Cody Martin, Bryce McGowan. Yeah, yeah so, it's not totally so, bare. Yeah. Right. So I, I feel like you can also make the argument that, you know, he's going to have a hard time, you know, finding his way into that rotation as well. And so that kind of goes along with what we're talking about also, here. Also, the wing, the wing room is partly bare because they just punted on Jalen McDaniels in the middle of this past season for like no reason, even though they absolutely could have resigned him. But I mean, hey, you know, let's not. I'm a 76ers uh, fan, so thank you, by the way, for that. Yeah, well, it's, I, 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 I know. I loved having him. I know he sort of like fell out of the rotation by the end of the playoffs, but like that's a good young wing. They were just like, mm, yeah, why don't we don't we don't need him in in the house. So that would again. This is why it would bother me. All of these things are related. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, like I said, with the five picks, I almost feel like you've got to consolidate. Uh, maybe take the 27 and 34 and try to trade up. I don't know how high you can get with the 27 plus 34th or who's willing to trade back. So, I, I just kind of want to throw out a couple names uh, to you guys. Or you guys can come up with names that, you know, at this point, this is kind of where I get a little bit off with the with their scouting of these guys. Uh, we've talked about this guy before, Brian, and I'm not sure he's going to be there at 27, but Brandon Pajemski from Santa Clara, a scorer, a shooter. He lacks athleticism, but his craft is off the charts. Tons of spin moves, dribble moves. Floater game is very, very strong. He reminds me a little bit of Luke Kennard when he came out of college, where he had to rely a lot on his craft to get off his shot. But I actually think that Brandon plays better with the ball in his hands. And you just look at his shot chart. He's basically money from every spot on the court. And then one guy that we've not talked about before, and I kind of want your guys' opinion on, on you know, if you've seen him enough, I'm sure you have, Nathan. Marcus Sasser from Houston. I feel like this guy is probably getting docked a lot of points because of, because of his size, because of his age. Uh, but when I watch him play, 
even though he's undersized and even though he's going to come in at 22 years old, he's a competitor. He's a shot creator. He's got some defense to him. And these are things that are hard to come by. And these are things that the Hornets desperately need. So let's just start with him real quick, Nathan. Marcus Sasser, where would you see him going? 27 might be too high, kind of like in that 34, 39 range where the Hornets do have picks there. And, And what do you like or dislike about him? That seems to be the range at which he's mocked. I'm actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. I really like Sasser. I have him at 22 oh, on my board. I, I have Sasser actually ahead of Pachemski on, on my personal board. And the reason why, I, th- I think he's a better athlete. I think he's a better shot creator from, from three-point range. I think he's more liable to be an asset for you defensively in the backcourt than Pachemski. Not that Pachemski isn't uh, competitive on that side of the ball, but there were certainly some games especially later in the season for Santa Clara, where you could tell he was gassed. You could tell that he he wasn't the right type of person to guard the tougher matchup in the backcourt. So if you're looking for someone to provide that point of attack defense for you to be a, a different change of pace off the bench for you, for the Hornets, I would actually look the way of someone like a Marcus Sass or someone who I feel pretty confident may not have the highest of, of ceilings to justify taking him in a more traditional sense around that 21, 22 range. But if you can get him, at 27, I'm really confident he's going to be around the league for a long time. And, and if you feel that level of confidence, you have to take him, you know, as soon as you can get him in that in that back end of the first round. Yeah, he feels like one of those guys that's just destined to outperform his draft slot. Um, Sasser, that is. Um, and a guy that's just going to be in rotations in some shape or form for a long time. All of this, this the statistical indicators for like a guard are they're all so good. The three-point volume, the tons of unassisted threes, the pull-up two volume. Steal uh, rate. Got, yeah, got to the line m- way more this season. The steal rate is is crazy, um, and he's a you know he's a you know he's an excellent free throw shooter too. So there's just so many reasons to like buy this guy as like a you know maybe not super duper versatile defender because of the size, but a guy that can guard you know two guard both both guard positions and, and navigate screens and and therefore because of that be good in a bunch of different uh, defensive systems. Whether you're playing drop as a guy that's just going to be able to fight it, navigate screens, and if that's you know Mark Williams in the drop, you know that that sounds pretty good on paper. Sasser point of attack Williams um, in in the drop that sounds pretty pretty tough. Oh, or if you're you know if you're you know guarding stuff more aggressively up at the level, just his his quick hands, the steal rate, all that type of stuff seems to really, really pop. So yeah, I, I like Sasser a lot. I think he would be an awesome pick at, at 27 for for the Hornets. And again, he just I sort of I think I said this about Colby Jones last week, but like just there is there is a like there's there is something to be said about like using some of these picks to just like take a swing on a player and and, and draft for upside, but also like it doesn't it's not a bad idea to like draft good basketball players and and guys that are just like likely to be in rotation like capable of being on the court in a playoff game on both sides of the floor and and Sasser is a guy because of the shooting and because of the defense and as Nathan mentioned like the the playmaking um yeah he looks like a really like like he's a really good guard prospect someone that also could have gone in the draft a year ago if not for the yeah. uh, the injury so um, and he came back and was once again a leader for a program like Houston that's been like one of the best programs in the country the last handful yeah. of years. Like, in, and I think that that matters. That probably matters some too. It's not the most important thing, but it's not nothing. So I think you can add it to like the the positive, you know, the pros uh, column for uh, for Sasser. 
Yeah, there's like two things there. It's one that's that the these guys who are winners in college generally aren't finding ways to to peter themselves out of the league, right? Like they're generally sticking around and they're they're not only just sticking around, but they're contributing in a big way to winning at the next level as well because they've done it. They know what it takes to to win at the highest level. And that is translating. There's a number of recent cases. We could go back to recent drafts and we could pick out some of those guys. The other thing I would say, it it speaks to what you guys are talking about in terms of consolidation and or just using these picks appropriately. Given the way the new CBA is going, it's going to become more valuable than ever to actually nail these picks with players who you're confident can actually come off the bench and produce for you. And in that, Getting those types of guys also limits you from taking more quote unquote projects with these second round picks as well, right? Because you guys have players on this roster who require developmental resources, and there's only so many developmental resources a team can throw around at the end of the day. So if you believe in some of these guys like Kai Jones, you know, JT Thor, Bryce McGowan's, if you actually believe in these guys, then you have to look in the direction of, you know, more veteran players like a Sasser. You can throw a Pachemski into this class. You can throw a, a Trace Jackson Davis in, into that group. You can throw Ben Shepard, Seth Lundy. There's all these names you can throw around with these picks that I would be much more prone to targeting if I'm the Hornets than taking on some of these other guys like a, like a Julian Phillips somewhere in the second round or guys of that ilk. All right, Nathan, we really do appreciate your time today. You went longer than we expected you to. Uh, go ahead and plug your no ceilings work, anything that you want to get out to the public. No, absolutely. Thank you guys for for having me on. I really appreciate any of these team podcasts I can come on. I love interacting with other fan bases. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you're following No Ceilings on Twitter wherever you're, you're at, at No Ceilings NBA. And subscribe to the Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com. You get written content from us on the NBA Draft every Monday through Friday, sometimes Sundays. The podcast feed by the same name, No Ceilings NBA Podcast. And make sure, if you haven't already, you still got two days or a few days you can buy that draft guide, noslingsmba.bigcartel.com. We are publishing free content all year long. That is one way for fans to be able to support us is to purchase that draft guide. So noslingsmba.bigcartel.com. And thank you guys for having me. Yes, I do have that draft guide as well. It, it's very, it's detailed, but succinct in the same way. Like it, it's just like two pages on every prospect. It gives you enough information, the pros, the cons, the shot charts, just the evaluation of these players. And for a guy like me that just doesn't get into college basketball and scouting, it, it's perfect for what I need. But we appreciate everyone for tuning in to another episode. Show us some love by giving us a five-star rating and review. We have a live draft show on Thursday and potentially one more episode prior to the draft. But if not, we will see you guys on Thursday. For Brian, for Nathan, I'm Richie. Take care. 